Welcome to this week's podcast from Church on the Rock. We hope that it will challenge and inspire you to be a more passionate follower of Jesus. For more information about Church on the Rock, visit us at cotrcalera.com. This lesson is really, uh, or, or today's message, is it's called do-over. It's simply called do-over. And the reason why is because I think a lot of times in life, we wish that we could have do-overs. I remember several, uh, several years ago, I was a children's pastor at another church, and uh, we used to play this game. It was basically like an all-out free-for-all tag. And so what would happen is these kids would just all run around this giant room and tag each other, and the only, last one to not get tagged or whatever was the winner. Well, I had two eight-year-olds, and uh, most of you guys, you are parents of the children that I pastor every week back there, so you know and understand what I'm fixing to say. I had two eight-year-olds. They run, and I mean, I saw it coming, right? You ever see something like, it's fixing to happen, and then when it happens, you're either really pumped because you just caught it, or you're, you're freaking out. Like, you're like, Aah! and you take off running, all right? I didn't either. I was almost a little bit pumped that, it, that, that I caught it, but I was freaking out because what happened was two eight-year-olds, they're on a collision course, and they immediately, they just smack. And I mean, they just absolutely demolished one another. And they both fell down. They both started crying. And here's how I got them to stop crying, right? I'm not a dad, but this worked. I walked over there and I turned around and I looked at them. They're both laying on the ground. I went, do over. And both of them quit crying. Tears ceased. They got up. We get to go back in the game. Because I called a do-over. The problem is a lot of times in life, we don't get to call do-overs. I was thinking back to some of the do-overs that, I've, that I wished I could have called. How many of you guys have ever made a vehicle purchase and immediately got buyer's remorse? Like, and then you, and then you turn around and you're, you're, you know, like, right, everything's going wrong when you're getting ready to try and buy this vehicle. Everything's going wrong. And you know, I really don't need to do this. But you begin to rationalize it with yourself. I was thinking back to several years ago, right? I, 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 look, I'm a guy. I was single at the time. And the only thing I wanted, men, help me out here, was a truck. That's all I wanted. By the way, to this day, I still don't have a truck. But... I got it like a mini SUV, and that counts for something, okay? So anyway, so I really, really, really wanted this truck. So I had graduated college. I'd gotten my first big boy job uh, working at a bank, and uh, I was, right, I was bringing home the money, more money I'd ever seen in my life. And I look back at that now, and I'm like, how in the world did I get by with that? I still don't know. But I took my tax refund money, right, that was coming in. I took my tax refund money. And I put it all on the down payment of a truck. It was a 2012 gorgeous blue Nissan Titan. I was a happy man. People, I love this truck. The problem is, whenever I went to go buy it, the salesman, mind you, it's, it's car salesmen, right? They're supposed to be happy. They're supposed to feed you a bunch of lies. This guy did none of it. He broke the mold. He did none of it. In fact, he literally turned around and he was just like, <sighs> because I didn't have my car cleaned out. Like he was huffing and puffing and getting annoyed by me. And I'm like, dude, I'm buying a $20,000 truck. Like, what is your problem? And so anyways, paperwork wouldn't go through. I'm at this dealership for like four and a half hours. Miserable. Knew I shouldn't have bought it. 
Second week I had it, I'm backing out of my driveway and smack, I knocked the mirror right off, right? I know I've made a big mistake. I have payments I can't afford. This thing doesn't just drink gas. No, 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 it guzzles it. It guzzles it. I'm like, I'm full. I leave the gas station. Dang, I'm empty. I mean, it was miserable. They were like, can you run this down the street? Nope. That's a tank of gas. Like, I just couldn't do it. I was not happy. So anyways, I, uh, I, I started praying about it. And I was like, God, you got to get me out of this truck. <laughs> God, I need a do-over. And so I'm like pounding the do-over button in my office like, or at my house. I'm pounding the do-over button and I'm, I'm begging for, for something to happen. And I got a buddy of mine. He's in the car business. I get out of this gigantuous 2012 blue, midnight blue Nissan Titan, which, by the way, I look at it now as an ugly truck. But uh, I look at, I, I'm, I'm getting out of this truck. And how many of you want to take a wild guess what vehicle God puts me in? The tiniest little roller skate that man has ever built. It was actually the car I was driving whenever I started uh, pastoring here. And uh, it was a 2015 Chevy Cruze, baby. I was single at the time. That was not exactly a check magnet. That was not exactly one of those, hey, hey, come on, take a ride with me. No, it wasn't working. I needed a do-over. But regardless of whether it's eight-year-olds running into each other or you buy a vehicle that you shouldn't buy, we all are guilty of needing do-overs in our lives. You see, David was somebody. Today, we're going we're gonna to go over a little bit of David and Bathsheba. But here's the thing. I'm going to put a little bit of a spin on it. I'm going to put a spin on it in things that you don't know. So we're going to talk about uh, King David and a couple of things that happened uh, with him. But then also, we're going to look at it from the aspect that, that very, very few people want to, want to address. And that's Bathsheba's side. Nobody, everybody looks at it and everybody goes, oh, well, David sinned and it's David, it's David, and it's David. What about Bathsheba? We're going to dive into her story a little bit today in the do-over that she wished that she could take or that she could make. Maybe the painful kind of do-overs happen when we sin. Sin impacts us and the world around us. King David was noted as, in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. I wonder how many of us are living lives that we could be known as that. Or we could be known as a woman after God's own heart. There's nobody else in Scripture, nobody else, that gets that label. But when we look at all of David's stories in the Bibles, we see some really awesome and awful choices. In one story, David just kept making a series of dumb choices. He desperately needed a do-over. Before we dive into this, uh, I want to pray with you guys over this message because this is for somebody. Think about it. Pastor Paul's sick. It's a message that I just recently preached. Some of you, you're here today specifically to hear this. So let me pray. Father, I love you. God, thank you. Thank you that you put each person that's here today on purpose. You put them here. You lined events up to hear this message that you have, that you have for their heart. I pray that, God, that as we dive into this lesson, as we dive into this message today with King David and Bathsheba, 
I pray, God, that your word, your word is imprinted on our hearts. God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that, they, that these people that are here today see and hear you, to see and hear the words that you have to say. We give you all the honor and the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, look, I have a, uh, we're, we're going to dive into Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 11, verse 1. It's going to be up on the screen behind me, but here's what it says. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David and Joab and the Israelite army were sent to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, the beginning of it is crucial. Go ahead and no, throw, that back up, throw that back up there for me. It, the beginning of it is crucial. In the spring of the year when kings would normally go out to war, David sent somebody else. David sent somebody else to go, his dirty, to go do his dirty work. The way I put it to the youth would, it, would, would be, it would kind of be like if uh, I sent everybody, uh, we're, right, we're going to schedule a paintball war. Okay, and uh, we're going to schedule it where uh, it's 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 I don't know church on the rock versus some other church in Alabaster, and it's war. All right, and I turn around and I get them up, I get them all in a circle, and I'm like, now listen, you're the underdog. Nobody believes in you. You can do this, and I get them all pumped up, and then I'm turning around like, are you ready to go? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, are you ready to go? And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, all right, bye. Have fun. That's kind of what that would be like. That's exactly what King David did. It says that in the early spring of the year, when they would normally go out to war, David sent somebody else. That brings me to my first point today. This is going to be up on the screen. Your basic choices can set you up for success or failure. Your basic choices can set you up for success or failure. Kings were supposed to be leading their armies and making strategic decisions. David was chosen to be king, but God put him in Jerusalem to lead his people. David should have been living in his calling and leading on the battlefield, but he didn't want to. He stayed home. There is 0% chance that David's sin in this story and the awful choices that were to follow would have happened had David simply done what he was supposed to do. There is a 0% chance that had David simply gone to war and done what his calling was to do, that the sin that follows would have happened. It it, It would not have happened had he simply done what he was supposed to do. I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of times where I, I... I, I personally, in my life, I look back on it and I go, man, if I had just simply done what God told me to do, I wouldn't have had to experience this. I was thinking earlier back to uh, a time whenever I was in college and high school and I dated the exact same girl uh, for nine years of my life. For nine years. And at one point I was actually engaged to her and uh, I did not marry her. But for nine years, I ignored signs. I had people in my life that were telling me, and they were like, dude, it's just not who God has for you. Like, she's just not it, man. And I'm like, you lost your mind. You're crazy. Yeah, she's, look, she, it's fine. You've lost your mind. And I chose not to listen. When, had I simply just listened to what God was telling me, I could have spared myself a lot of heartbreak. I could have spared myself a lot of issues. 
And wouldn't you know it, the minute that I finally said, okay, I'm done, I'm going to listen to you, God, was the very minute that God introduced somebody named Brittany into my life, and I married that girl. And it's the best decision I ever made in my life. And you can't say, well, you're just saying that for brownie points. She ain't even in here. She's in kids. But it's the best decision I ever made. But here's the thing. I had to hit the do-over button. And now David's got a problem. David's headed straight into a problem. Your basic choices can set you up for success or failure. If I look back on some of the poorest choices of my life, those bad situations started with me being somewhere that wasn't a good idea to begin with. The way my mom and dad always put it to me, don't put yourself in a situation that you had to explain your way out of. In Scripture, we're told that God, God will always provide us an opportunity for us to be, escape any sinful, any sinful behavior that we find ourselves tempted by. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13, it says, If you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, but God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, He will show you a way out. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. All right, so let's go into, uh, let's go into David, David's situation here, right? We're, we're headed into a bad time of David's life. So our basic decisions contribute to our success or failure when, when, when where we are matters. David should have been with his troops, but instead he was at home walking around on his roof. Here's what happens, all right? Pay attention. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when he came to the place, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after a time of her life. She then returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying that I'm pregnant. David's got a really big problem. So let's all, let's all do the uh-oh together. You ready? One, two, three. Uh-oh. David's got a really big uh-oh problem. Now, here's the way that I put it this past Sunday to the teenagers. David may have been a man after God's own heart, but David was a sissy girl. Let's call it what it was. David was a sissy girl. Why was David a sissy girl? Because whenever he saw someone that he liked, the Bible says that he sent somebody. What? You sent someone? Okay, hold on, time out. Any man in this room, if when you got ready to meet your wife and you turn around and you were like, man, she looks good. I really, um, hey, uh, hey, Rob, why don't you, why don't you go say, say something to her? She's a, yeah, yeah, go, go find out her information. You're a sissy girl. Go find out, go shake her hand, go get to know her. Look, even if she, listen, my wife will tell you right now, she thought I was the most annoying person on this planet whenever she met me. Right, I'm going to give you guys the beginning story of the very, very first conversation that my wife and I ever had. You ready for this? This is so good. All right, 
I asked a buddy of mine. I see my wife. She's in the back of the room, right? She's in the back of the room, and I see her, and I'm like, hey, man, who is that? And he said, oh, that's Brittany. That's one of the youth's older sister. And I was like, oh, she cute. And he turned around, and he was like, you think? And I'm like, yeah, she is. And he was like, well, come on, dude. I'll, I'll introduce you to her. And I'm like, cool, I'll go with you, right, because I ain't no sissy girl. I went with him. So I go up to him, and I, I'm, I'm standing there, right? Here's me. Here's Brittany. And Cody's over here. And he turns around, and he says, Cody, or Cody says, Brittany, this is my friend Devin. And y'all would think at this moment in the story that my wife, who thought I was just the cutest thing ever that she had ever seen, and I was the cute new little preacher boy at this church. No, this is what my wife did. She turned around, and she goes, Hi. And she walked away. She walked away. And I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, that went, that went well. That went well. I had to pursue this woman for like four months before she even would go on a date with me. And then even then I kind of conned her into it. We're not getting into that. All right. So anyways, um, <laughs> so back to David. David's king. David has the power to do whatever they want to do. David could have someone, he could literally have somebody killed for simply looking at them the wrong way. If David commanded you to do something and you said no, he had you killed. It was simple as that. It was a much different time. Women back then, as you guys probably know this, women back then were treated as more like property. They were treated more as, well, this one's mine. How many you got? They were treated more uh, in a much more extremely disrespectful way. I asked the teenage girls this last week, I'm like, how many of y'all wanted to live back then? No hands went up. They really didn't. And the reason why was simply because of this. If David didn't like the way your hair looked, you could be dead. If he told you to come, you come. He was king. He could do whatever he wanted. He had absolute power. So he's chilling on the roof. He sees Bathsheba. And he's like, hmm, who is she? He sends messengers to retrieve her. And he finds out her name. He finds out who she is. He finds out everything he wants to know about her. Kind of like the internet today. If you want to know something about somebody, you do what? You Facebook stalk the fool out of them. I found out the other day that Pastor Paul Facebook stalked me before he hired me. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's kind of boring. Like, I don't ever get on Facebook. I just, it's not my gig. So he basically did the internet stalk. He found out who she was. He calls her over. He sees her. He gets informed about who she is. And he sends her out. At this timeline, I see so many opportunities where David could have just gone, whoa, 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 whoa stop. What am I doing? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you knew this is fixing. There's no way this is going to end well. There's no way this is going to end well. You see all the signs and you're like, stop, stop. What am I doing? Where's my do-over button? Then there's Bathsheba. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard this passage preached like she had an affair. No, there was zero consent. There was zero consent. You see, here's the thing. Everybody put, points it out and everybody goes, oh, well, yeah, David sinned, but Bathsheba had the affair. Not true. Not true. She had no choice. She had to go. It was not consensual. She had no 
option. It was either go or be killed. The choice is yours. That was her options. It's totally spun the wrong way. She didn't have an affair. She had no choice. Women were treated a lot more like property. And she knew that causing a scene would not help her survive. That leads me to my next point today. You can rationalize anything in the moment. Whenever I'm getting ready to buy that truck, I rationalize. Look, I saw every one of the, the stop signs, but I rationalized it. Because in the moment, you can rationalize anything you want. David was well within his legal rights to do what he did. He was the creator of laws and power, so he could have used them in any way with how he saw fit. That doesn't necessarily make it right. That doesn't mean hurting somebody was a good choice. The word in verse 5, conceive, means mountain. So likely Bathsheba waited until she was physically showing before telling David that she was pregnant. So let's think about Bathsheba for a second. Her husband's away. She's unguarded in the absence and raped by David. She sat at home for months by herself with a pregnancy to remind her of this attack. She was probably stressed about her, how her husband would handle the situation when he came home. Would he believe her? Would he believe that the king really did call for her and she really didn't have no choice? How would her family react? I mean, come on, people. She was literally at home just taking a bath. And by no fault of her own, her life is turned upside down. Now she's got a pregnancy to remind her every single day of what's going on. Bathsheba's got problems. Bathsheba is finding her do-over button. She's trying, and look, she she didn't do anything to deserve this. And yeah, we can chalk it up and we can just say, oh, well, well, life ain't fair. Blah, 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 blah. No, no, here's the thing. Is your actions have impact on somebody else's life? David's actions had something to do on her life, ruining her life. But David rationalized hurting someone. But the repercussions for the people around him were beginning to build. Likely... When she was confident this baby was here to stay, Bathsheba notified the king. How difficult do you think that had to be for her, right? She had to communicate with the man that had attacked her. He could, he could toss her aside. It could result in the destruction of her marriage, her life. Was she humiliated? How many tears did she cry? She was allowed to live. How would her husband Uriah interact with the child? Would she treat him well? Put it this way, guys, Bathsheba's broken. I don't think that David thought about any of this when he was rationalizing his sin. He was just trying to be happy and do what he wanted. I personally don't think that he gave a second thought to Bathsheba or her husband, and especially the prospect of a new baby. You might be thinking, well, I would never hurt someone like that. How could he even begin to think that this was okay? I wouldn't do that. You see, the problem is, guys, is we as Christians, we begin to judge ourselves by ourselves instead of judging ourselves in accordance with Scripture. We begin to say, well, I mean, it was just a bad website, right? I mean, it wasn't, I didn't go, I didn't go harm anybody. 
we rationalize ourselves and we justify our sin within our own means instead of comparing it to what Scripture says. See, the problem is, and I tell teenagers this all the time, the problem is, is for a lot of us, we get our Bibles, right? We wipe it off, we take it to church with us, and then where does it go? Right in the back seat of the car until next Sunday. Or right in the back seat of the car until stuff hits the fan and we're in trouble. Now let me go find Scripture. When the fact of the matter is, is if we would simply compare ourselves to Scripture rather than other people, you know what causes the most discontent in life is when you compare yourself to somebody else. That's what causes the most discontent. It's whenever you're out with your family and you see somebody else who's walking around and they've got their, they've got their like perfectly awesome like khaki pants and their sweater and they've got the glasses and they've got their, their, their hair gelled and everything looks great. They've got their brand new phones. They've got an awesome, cool, big Apple watch. And you begin to look at it and you begin to compare yourself by them. You set yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure with that. You see, David began to compare his situation. David already had seven wives. I, the, way I, the way I told the students is I'm like, I have enough trouble keeping up with one. Seven? Ugh. Sorry, ladies, but no. No. No way. Mm-mm. David already had seven, but David was comparing. David saw something that he wanted. We rationalize it. And you turn around and you say, well, it's not like I'm, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. You're rationalizing it. In life, anytime you compare, you lose. Write that down, put it on Facebook, do whatever you want to remind yourself. Anytime you compare, you lose. You will lose it every single time. David had all the power to do what he wanted. Rape was a sin. Actually, you know what, rewind. It was a sin to stare at her while she was while she was bathing in the lust. But even before that, it was wrong of David to not do his job. Because remember, had he simply gone out with his army, none of this would have ever happened. Leads me to my third point for you guys. The third and final point, sin has consequences for more than just you. Your sin has more consequences for more than just you. To paraphrase the next part of the, so, of the story, David brought Bathsheba's husband home from battle. He invited him to the palace. The king thought that if Uriah visited the palace and stayed home for a few days to rest, that Uriah would think that the pregnancy came out of this visit. But Uriah was an honorable man. He tells David in verse 11 that there was no way he could stay at home with his men still living in the tents. So David invited him to the palace again the next night to feast. But even while Uriah was intoxicated, King David could not convince him to go home. In the end, Uriah was never, he never went home. So David brings him home. He's trying to trick him. Uriah's not falling for it. So David had another problem. Right? Bathsheba's pregnant. His plan to get Uriah to come home, to go, with the, to go home to his wife, 
failed. So now he's got to find another problem. He's got to find another solution to his problem. The Bible says uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14, it says, So the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the most fierce. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab sent Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed among several other Israelite soldiers. His problem just went from bad to worse. Because now you have murder tacked on. Now you have, you broke your own law, slept with somebody else's wife, you raped her, now you've got a child on the way. And now you've committed murder. Think about it this way, guys. Uriah was somebody's son. Somebody's brother. And he ain't coming home. He ain't coming home. Because the sin that David committed had consequences on more people than he realized. Think about it this way. All the time in affairs, we see when, when, when affairs happen in marriages, we see things go from bad to worse. But what nobody sees, they, they see that one marriage fall apart. What nobody sees is the fact that there's somebody else's life that has just fallen apart. And the same thing happened with David. David had Uriah killed. The sin of laziness and disobedience led to lust, which led to rape, which now led to murder. The, the problems are adding up, and it's like how a snowball builds when it rolls downhill. Now Bathsheba's a widow. We have no idea if she knew that David orchestrated death. Uh, David, if David orchestrated Uriah's death, the Bible is not uh, explicit on that. We don't see that. Um, but Bathsheba was taken to the palace to be one of King David's wives. How awkward do you think that that? I must hit the button. My bad. How awkward was it? Well, he already had seven wives. Kings married for political alliances. These women likely had maids and came from wealth, but Bathsheba did not come from that lifestyle. Were the women nice to her? Did they treat her like she was less than poor? Now, here's the part, and this is the, this is the part of the story where we see the most sin pile up and the biggest, the biggest explosion of it all happens, right? The baby's born and killed. The baby was killed because of David's sin. David wishes that he could have a do-over. David wishes that he could have gone to battle and spared him all this problem. Sin brings pain. People, sin will bring pain. No matter how you want to spin it, sin is going to bring pain to your life. Jesus brings redemption. 
He brings grace, he brings forgiveness, and he brings love. Sometimes we think in our lives, how did we get, how did I get where I am? How did things get so bad? When did I make these decisions and can I dig myself out? Let me just tell you this, guys. No problem is a problem that's too big from God. When things go wrong in your life, the thing I always try and remember, it ain't like God's surprised. It ain't like a problem, the biggest problem, the biggest catastrophe of your life has just happened and God's up there going, oh my goodness, what do I do? Oh, I didn't see that. Oh. No. He sees it. And here's the thing. What he's asking you and the question we need to ask ourselves is, God, this is happening. What do you want me to learn from it? What do you want me to learn? Maybe you resonate more with Bathsheba's end of the story. The pain is consuming and overwhelming. Where your life is right now, it doesn't make sense and you feel completely alone. Let me tell you something, guys. God knows that pain. The way I put it is like this. There is nothing that you can go through on this earth that Jesus himself did not experience. There's nothing. There's no pain on this planet that you can go through that Jesus himself didn't experience. First time I ever taught that uh, to, well, in a message, I had a woman come up to me and her husband had just had an affair. She turned around and she said, well, Jesus never got married. So how does Jesus know my pain right now? Really? Scripture calls us the bride of Christ. And dare I say that we cheat on him every single day. You're in here with pain. You're in here with baggage. Let me tell you something. He gets it. He understands it. He doesn't judge you for it. He doesn't care about the previous mistakes in your life. He cares about where you are right now. He cares about the fact that you got up this morning and you made a decision to come here. He cares about the fact that you're going to be walking down the street and you're going to see an opportunity to love on somebody, an opportunity to pray from somebody. And even though you're scared out of your mind, even though you've got your own pain, you've got your own baggage, you're hurting. He's there and he gives you that strength. And it doesn't matter if you haven't prayed to him in six years. It doesn't matter if you prayed to him in six hours ago. The point of the matter is no matter no matter where you are in life, no matter if you're as far from God as you could be, or you and God are like that, Rain, y'all are besties. Here's the best part about him, in my opinion, is this is him right here whenever you mess it up, whenever we mess it all up. He holds his arms out and he says, come home. I love you. I don't care about the pain. I don't care about the past. I don't care about the things that you think that you've done wrong. I don't care about the part that you messed up. I just want you home. I just want you. No matter where you are in life, he just wants you to come home. God loves you more than ever I can ever begin to tell you. The question is, are we willing to 
to accept his call? Are we willing? Let me tell you something, guys. Life is too short. It's too short to live angrily. It's too short to live beating yourself up over and over and over again. I'm the king of that. That's literally what I do. I beat myself up. Let me just be real with you. The first thing I'm going to do whenever I go home is not go home and search for something to eat. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go sit in my office and I'm going to think to myself, what could I have said differently? What could I have done better? You know why? Because I beat myself up over stuff like that. Because here's the thing, guys. It's the fact of the matter is this, is I have pain in my life. You have pain in your life. Oh, I got an idea. What if we help each other through that? That was the other part of the story nobody ever talks about. David, who did he have? Bathsheba, who did she have? You got to find somebody to do life with, people. Look, he loves you and he's there for that pain. He sees it. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward.